15. This is the Hermetic Hour. I'm your host, Paul Grunion. And tonight we'll have a discussion on the magical, heroic fantasy fiction of British literary lion Michael Moorcock. Moorcock. Although Moorcock did not coin the term multiverse, he did much to popularize it in his Elric of Meldabonai series. And, of course, H.G. Wells used it in Men Like Gods in 1923, and Richard Shaver's Red Dwarf called it the simultane back in the late 1940s. Parallel Worlds is perhaps the best description of it. What Moorcock did coin was the chaos sphere, that mace-like symbol of the black ball with the eight spearheads emerging from it that was adopted by Peter Carroll as a symbol for his chaos magic system. Moorcock's literary concept of the chaos world is presented as an ocean of swirling colors and energies dashing against the cliffs of his fantasy world and periodically invading and claiming lands ruled by the lords of law. Now, the lords of chaos, one of which is Elric's patron, play a constant game with men as the pawns. Murcock was perhaps influenced by Vance's, that's Jack Vance's character, Cujo, to create his anti-hero, the albino ex-emperor, Elric of Meldebonet, who struggles to overcome the sociopathic heritage of his race, and finally succumbs to it under the influence of his black magic sword, which is a vampiric weapon with an evil mind of its own. This was the perfect fictional character for the darkness that followed the era of the flower children, a presage of the current goth and black metal fads. Murcock describes himself as an anarchist and is a controversial literary figure in Britain. He is presently... Well, it's a, he actually has already published it. A Doctor Who novel. That was the first time using someone else's character. Uh, and now, Michael Moorcock uh, spends half his time at his home in Austin, Texas, and the other half of the year he spends in Paris. Uh, and uh, so uh, we hope that uh, we hope that he's in Austin at this point, and, and, uh, and maybe maybe he's listening in. Uh, so if you want to discover the magic of Michael Moorcock, tune in, and we'll navigate the multiverse. Okay. So um, one of the things that uh, that we need to uh, establish right uh, right off off the start here is that. Michael Moorcock became the um, inheritor of a, a genre that was created by originally by Edgar Rice Burroughs with uh, his John Carter series. In fact, one of the one of the earliest novels that Moorcock remembers reading uh, that certainly influenced him was *The Gods of Mars* by Edgar Rice Burroughs. Now, those of you who have seen the recent film, John Carter, which we reviewed a little while back, uh, The Gods of Mars forms half of that that film. Uh, 
the first half is The Princess of Mars, which was the first of Burroughs' Mars novels. And then the second novel was The Gods of Mars. And uh, this is, uh, The Gods of Mars were were a uh, a very evil priesthood with, uh, with psychic powers, as you, you remember we recall in the film. And in the in the novel also they they uh, they dominated the planet and had people go on these sacrificial quests and and uh, they and so Moorcock uh, under under Burroughs' influence there just to start with had a had a very uh, cynical view of religion uh, and which he which he obviously had anyway but uh, one of the things that uh, uh, that uh, 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 that Carter had to overcome, of course, was was the, this this priesthood of the Holy Thirds, uh, and and uh, you know, so Edgar Rice Burroughs had a lot to do with creating the sword and sorcery genre. Uh, that's what they ended up calling it, by the way. Moorcock wanted to call the genre epic fantasy, and this, of course, includes the Lord of the Rings and and. Uh, and it includes uh, the Conan stories, of course, and and uh, a number of others that that some of you uh, who have been into heroic fantasy have probably uh, read, like uh, Fritz Lieber, uh, the, the Grey Mouser stories, and and uh, C.L. Moore's Jiro uh, of Jory. She was the first lady warrior. Uh, now these uh, these stories all had. Uh, uh, had an influence on Michael Moorcock coming up, and and uh, and so he he created a character that was just perfect for the emerging uh, youth culture that we have right now. We're still in it, by the way. And by the way, so is Michael Moorcock. He he is he gets himself involved in in. Uh, in uh, heavy metal music and 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 and, and in all of these these um, uh, these youth trends that that his character uh, his character uh, uh, Elric of uh, Mel de Monet was the perfect character for the tail end of the uh, of the psychedelic movement because as you recall that. When the psychedelic movement, when it first started out, it was uh, the thing with the flower children, and everybody went, oh, everything was love and beauty and 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 all. But then, as it progressed, and especially after after uh, LSD became made illegal, as it progressed, it became darker and darker. And part of that was part of the reason why it became darker was because the government. Uh, had a panic reaction and and made uh, psychedelics uh, right across the board, not just LSD, but everything, even including the little mushrooms, made them illegal. And and this, of course, uh, this this had something to do with driving the whole movement into the dark side. And we ended up with uh, you know with the Hell's Angels taking over the hippies in in Kate uh, Ashbury, and uh, it, it it got very sour. And and by the time the Manson clan emerged, it had it had really really gone dark. And so uh, then you know, and since then the heavy metal thing, uh, uh, the uh, uh, gothic uh, the gothic movement, the vampire movement, all of these different uh, dark dark side uh, uh, things that attracted the youth. 
they got started at the tail end of the psychedelic movement when it when it when it was was criminalized, and uh, so what Michael Moorcock came up with was the perfect hero for that uh, for that that up that kind of oncoming movement. Now, uh, so let's talk a little bit about uh, about Elric because that's really what this show Elric uh, of Melda Bonet is really the center of the of magic and and what relates to to our thing here is 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 the the, the Elric stories or the Elric saga. Um, Elric is an albino. And he has pink, well, very, very crimson eyes. You know, he's he's he's, and they call him the White Wolf because he has a long, thin face. By the way, the the Mel the Melmanians in in uh, in uh, um, Michael Murcock's fantasy world, they are very much they're they're a kind of a a kind of a sinister version of Tolkien's elves. Now, uh, they have long, thin faces, and, and uh, we don't know whether their ears are pointed or not, but they, they, they have, they, they're, they're, kind of, they're, they're kind of elvish. And they're not all albinos, that's just Elric. He, he's the albino. And Elric is, uh, is the hereditary emperor of Melda Bonet. Melda Bonet, in, in, uh, in Moorcock's fantasy world, is a decadent empire that once ruled the whole world. And it once ruled the whole world, and and uh, and its its leaders, its nobility, are also sorcerers. So they're not only are they are they versed in the arts of war, uh, but they are also versed in in magic. Now, their magic is what we would what we commonly call black magic because they serve Meldamonians, uh traditionally serve the lords of chaos. Now. Uh, um, uh, Warcock's world, uh, her fantasy world, which is is very similar to Howard's uh, Hyperborea, by the way, uh, and Howard was certainly an influence on on on, on Moorcock. Howard was, Burroughs was, uh, and uh, and Tolkien was to some extent, even though uh, uh, Moorcock is, is is critical of Tolkien, uh, you know, uh, for a number of reasons. And yet, at the same time, uh, as I said, his his Melamonians are very very much like uh, like Tolkien's elves. And uh, but Elric is a kind of a Michael Jackson sort of a character. He's an albino, and he's uh, and he's uh, physically weak. He he has to take all kinds of herbal potions. Uh, and and, and uh, alchemical uh, alchemical potions to to keep his strength up and keep him and keep him alive and and uh, and he is the hereditary emperor. But and this is the very interest. This is where where it gets really really interesting. And Elric is the Melamodeans are sociopathic. All of them. They 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 are they are ruthlessly cruel. They they love to torture people and 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 uh, that's one of their favorite sports is is, is torturing people and watching people be tortured. They're 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 what we would call evil people. And they are soulless evil people. And Elric 
doesn't like this. Elric, as we first when we first meet him in the first first stories, uh, he is uh, he's reluctant to engage in all of this sort of thing, and he wants to he he wants to go out into the world and meet other people and 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 uh, find out how the rest of the human race acts because he he is he he feels he feels the guilt. He feels guilt, not just for himself, but for his whole race, and and he he is he, um, so he is an emperor who has who seems to have at least the way his courtiers think he seems to have very little power uh, because he can't he can't be. Uh, he, he he can't be be forceful or vindictive or whatever. He tries not to be. He tries to be sympathetic for people's problems and all this. And see, in other words, he's a reluctant Meldamonian. And uh, and what's going on here? I think uh, uh, having having uh, read uh, 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 some commentaries on Michael Moorcock and his political beliefs of one thing or another. And his, uh, by the way, he's very liberal and pro-feminist and whatever. But uh, he, I think what I'm reading between the lines here with uh, Melda Monet, uh, Melda Monet is, is symbolizes the, the, the decadent British Empire in its last stages. And one thing, and the Melda Monetans, the, the Melda Monetan nobility, seem to symbolize the British uh, nobility, and as most of us know, the British uh, nobility, uh, they didn't want to raise their own children. They always hired uh, hired Irish nannies, and 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 uh, then they sent then they sent the the kids after the Irish nanny uh, got done with them. They sent the they they sent the boys off to. Uh, uh, to very strict boarding schools, and then from there to very strict prep schools, with, uh, to, to turn them into little, uh, well, literally to little sociopathic uh, um, soldier boys, and 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 uh, this was uh, this was the way the uh, the British aristocracy raised their children, and and uh, of course a lot of uh, a lot of. Bad effects and 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 uh, and well, it seems to me that that Michael Moorcock is is symbolizing this with Melda Bonet and 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 Elric the albino here is kind of the, the you know the pale ghost of, he he's sort of the pale ghost of the British Empire and uh, the the what he what he ends up doing uh, he ends up giving up his throne to his cousin. This this Yarkoon and his his cousin's sister Simrel uh, is 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 actually Eric's girlfriend, his his lover, and he loves Simrel and she loves him, and and she does not like her brother, but but Elric, but her brother lusts after the throne and thinks Elric is a you know is a failure and and too weak to rule and whatever, so Elric. Uh, for reasons that seem inexplicable, uh, he he tells Simmer, uh, Simmer, Simmerell, I you know I I can't stay here 
and 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 marry you and I can't because I I got to find out who I am and what what the rest of the world is like and what you know I have to go find myself and I have to place in humanity and I got to go pursue my destiny so I'm going to give your brother the put him on the throne as regent and and then I'm going to go out and spend a few years uh, and this is almost like the British British doing the grand tour. You know, <laughs> every British aristocrat when he grew up was supposed to go and do the grand tour, and they send them over to Europe, and and they would go all over Europe and and learn how the rest of the world <laughs> supposedly lived. So this is so here. Elric decides he's going to do the grand tour, and he's going to leave poor Simmerell there. And give the and, and give uh, uh, this uh, the, this beautiful city, um, Il Morel, I think they call it, and, and this beautiful city of these gracious towers and all, and leave that to his cousin Yarkoon uh, as regent, and then he's going to go out, and then he's going to come back, and and and. If somehow or other he thinks that he's going to be able to come back and get his throne back, uh, you know, when he finally finds himself or whatever, you know, and so off he goes. Well, of course, and he has a whole bunch of adventures, and and and, uh, and they're very Conan-esque kind of thing. But uh, uh, in the course of this, uh, Elric recovers or, or or discovers in another dimension, and I'll get into that in a minute. He discovers a uh, his ancestral weapon, and this is a this is a a sword. It's a magic sword, of course, and it has a, a it has a black blade, and it, and it, and it's all rune all, all uh, covered with runes. And this sword is called Stormbringer, and the sword has a twin, Mornblade. These two swords are two black swords, and and they uh, and they're both uh, they're both uh, uh, like brother like like two brothers. And these swords uh, have a life of their own. And and through one of these dimensional doorways, and they, and by the way, this, this he as I said in the beginning, Moorcock uh, um, really made a lot of use out of the multiverse concept. And he didn't invent the multiverse concept, and of course it, it's it's been used, as we said. H.G. Wells used it, and Men Like Gods, and Shaver used it, in, in uh, the Red Dwarf stories, and and uh, it's uh, and of course David Lynch did it and, and Lost Highway, and uh, it, it, the multiverse concept is is been used for a lot of science fiction. It's parallel worlds what it's supposed to. But but in, in but Moorcock does it very, very well, very artistically, in the various gateways. You can sail through them in a sailing ship, you can you can ride through them on horseback, you can these various gates and they and they're very imaginative. Like one in one case he has a tower that uh, that shows up in different dimensions, and the tower—it's only—it's only in one dimension for just a, maybe maybe twenty minutes, and then poop, and it's gone, and it it pops up in another dimension, and uh, <coughs> uh, so he's very 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 adroit at handling this interdimensional uh, business, and 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 of course the demons, and, and this this is where where it really relates to to magic. Especially to Goetia, if you're if you're into that, uh, the, the the demons are in these other dimensions, and you call them from these other dimensions, and, and through Gateway, and and Elric 
is a sorcerer. Yeah, his, he comes from a family of sorcerers, and he is well versed in sorcery. And his magic circle is that is that chaos, uh, the chaos sphere. Uh, you know, the the big black, uh, the big black black blob with the eight spearheads emerging. And uh, but he and he has a, a patron uh, lord of chaos, uh, uh, whom he calls upon who sometimes aids him and sometimes doesn't and sometimes tells him, well, you know, you got to go ahead and handle this problem yourself. Boy, I'm not going to help you, you know, and whatever. Uh, that's uh, um, um, uh, his, his, so he's got, he's pledged to chaos because that, that was traditional for the Maldemonians. But Elric ends up on the sword, on the side of, of the Lords of Law, which is obviously, obviously the, the gods of, of balance and justice and, and all. Uh, he ends up on their side more often than not, or, or aiding people who are on their side. And, and, and quite frankly, uh, he still has, he still maintains this anti-Meldabonean uh, sense of, of compassion and justice, and he still keeps it. And and um, even though this sword that he has, the Stormbringer, is a is a sentient being. This this thing is is actually alive. And and it it what it does is it steals. It not just it doesn't just kill people. It steals their souls. It eats their souls at the same time. And when it does this, and when Elric is using it, it it sucks it sucks the life force and the soul right out the soul stays with the sword but the life force flows into the into the warrior that wields it so elric uh elric can rejuvenate himself by jumping in the middle of a battle and killing people and and, and he can he can acquire endless power this way which which makes him a very 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 deadly warrior and um and this sword, as I said, it, 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 he's kind of a slave to it, uh, in a way. He feels he he feels like the sword dominates him, and he doesn't really want to want to. Sometimes the sword wants 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 to kill more than Elric does. In fact, the, uh, as as it turns out, the sword uh, seems to lust after Elric's. Uh, friends and, and and as much as it does his enemies, and and he ends up killing several of his friends uh, almost by accident because the sword the sword just uh, uh, is so it seems to be attracted to those whom he who whom uh, Elric is attracted to, and this makes him racks him with guilt. So he's constantly racked with guilt, but make things worse. When he finally does decide to go home and reclaim his throne, the only way he thinks he can do it is to lead a bunch of pirates uh, to uh, to try to to storm the capital city, and and he and, and uh, that way he can he can uh, uh, rescue. Uh, the Yarkun, the, his his cousin, has put his sister. In like Sleeping Beauty into a, into a into a trance. The only way Elric feels that he can rescue Simril, his his lady, and Yarkun's sister, is to defeat Yarkun. 
So he leads this bunch of pirates uh, into uh, the city, and they uh, they take over the city and literally, you know, destroy it. And uh, and uh, Elric fights with Yarkoon, and he manages to kill Yarkoon. But in the course of doing this, uh, the uh, the sword the sword manages to also kill Cimmeril, his 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 lady. And and this, of course, is the, is the horrifying end of this thing, and and, and it leaves Elric, uh, you know, just really shattered. And, and but, however, uh, he can't uh, keep a good a good pale hero down, so he he recovers and goes on to more and more adventures, and finally finds another woman that uh, that he can uh, love and gets married to, and she very promptly gets kidnapped, and he has to go off and rescue her. But one of the things, though, that, that that we notice in this is that 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 Elric is a perfect anti-hero. Uh, by the way, this whole business of the anti-hero uh, seemed to get started right after World War II uh, in American in American fiction and in pulp fiction and all. We had we had anti-heroes. One of the first anti-heroes that, that I can recall. And right after World War II, 1946, a novel called The Wake of the Red Witch with a very evil sea captain, who uh, Captain Rawls, who John Wayne played in an excellent film, by the way, called Wake of the Red Witch. Uh, and uh, and this, this Captain Rawls is, is a scoundrel, but he was the hero of the story. And actually, um, and he was an anti-hero. So Rawls was one of the first of the anti-heroes, uh, and uh, but, but, but when we get into um, into fantasy, in this into heroic fantasy, then I think that the the start of the of the anti-heroes was uh, was Jack Vance's Cudgel. Uh, let me say a little bit about Jack Vance here. That uh, and I think Cudgel probably certainly. Uh, um, yeah, Michael Moorcock certainly read Jack Vance, and he, and he was certainly familiar with Cudgel. Cudgel was a scoundrel, and Cudgel was a delightful scoundrel and a very clever scoundrel. But but he was a scoundrel, and 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 uh, and uh, however, something about uh, Moorcock. Moorcock influenced chaos magic by giving them the chaos sphere, but. Uh, Jack Vance is the, and his dying Earth stories, which Kujul features in, uh, they were the inspiration for Dungeons and Dragons. That came from Jack Vance's dying Earth stories, just like the Chaos Sphere uh, and the Multiverse, where it both came uh, in, uh, in concepts and magic, both came from Moorcock's Elric of Meldabone series. Now, um, so these these uh, these works of fiction, and especially heroic uh, fantasy fiction, have had a lot of influence on 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 the subculture, and and they've had a lot of influence on the magical community too. So um, the uh, but I think as I say, the the important thing about um, about the anti-hero in uh, in the case of uh, of Elric. Is that what we have here is a is is a a perfect uh, uh, hero 
protagonist for the uh, for the dark end of the uh, of the popular culture, the, the end of the you know, the end of the, the uh, well, if you might want to call it drug culture or whatever, uh, yeah, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. In other words, Elric Bonet is perfect for sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Except that, let me say this: that Elric does not. There's not very, there's very very little sex in in Michael Moorcock's uh, uh, Elric saga. He doesn't uh, miss. In fact, uh, that brings up a point. Uh, uh, Elric is very very kind to women. He is not. He protects them, and he and he's not. He's never abusive, except of course he kills Cimmerell by by accident. His sword does, but. Uh, uh, but he's otherwise he's defensive, and and uh, and he protects him, and and he and, and he gets very incensed when women are threatened uh, under any circumstances, and this reflects Michael Moorcock's uh, uh, personal view. Michael Moorcock was such a such a power in British uh, science fiction circles, and especially literary science fiction, that he actually managed. To uh, get um, John Norman's Gore series, uh, well, placed upon the top shelves of the of the bookstores, so people, uh, you know, <laughs> pass it over. By the way, John Norman uh, wrote a series of uh, science fiction stories on a uh, set on a planet called Gore, uh, which uh, in which they. Uh, they were basically S and M S and M stories in which uh, uh, the primarily the men enslaved women, you know, and and, uh, and abused them and tortured them and whatever. And uh, so these gore stories, and Michael Michael Moorcock himself was very offended by by this, and so he he lobbied with the with the booksellers to keep these uh, keep these books restricted on the market. And uh, 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 he he describes himself as an anarchist, so he is he is controversial, uh, and he's edited he's edited various uh, uh, science fiction uh, anthologies and 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 uh, and magazines over in, in England when he was there, and and uh, uh, and he has supported uh, he supported a. Uh, uh, in fact, published a, a, a book called Bug Jack Baron by Norman Spinard, and it was a serial novel. And and, and this thing was uh, so so anti uh, anti establishment. Uh, it's only set in the future, but it's uh, it, it, uh, kind of reminiscent of, uh, in a way, kind of reminiscent of uh, of uh, the um, oh. Uh, what was the one on on on, on Fox Day? You know the uh, uh, the uh, that recent recent uh, I can't remember the name of it, but that recent that recent one about uh, about um, the uh, the fascist the, the future fascist British uh, uh, um, uh, you know world of the future, uh, and and this this novel was so controversial that uh, Parliament. That he was, he was even criticized in Parliament, and 
And uh, but it was sponsored by the by the British Arts Council, and they didn't like that in Parliament. So uh, it was some of the uh, some of the same sort of thing that public radio and public television runs into over here in this country. Um, so uh, Michael Murcock is is uh, is what you would uh, I think what you would call a liberal, and and uh, and yet he claims he's an anarchist, and and I think that's that's you know. Yeah, sort of. Uh, it's like one of those Guy Fox masks that he that he, that he might want to wear. Anyway, um, the uh, the uh, another thing that I want to mention uh, while we're on the subject is that that uh, Michael Murcock has uh, has been writing more recently. He's been writing scripts for uh, graphic novels, and he did do a screenplay. For a film which uh, which came out, oh gosh, no, it was about oh, 35 years ago, uh, which was directed by a friend of mine, and and uh, and uh, this film was was uh, the land that time forgot, and it was based on an Edgar Rice Burroughs novel uh, about. Uh, about a group of people who who find a lost prehistoric lost world in Antarctica down in Antarctica, and uh, they have to capture a uh, World War One German U-boat to do it. And but it, and it's a, it's a it's a very good story. And but uh, and uh, anyway, Moorcock along with his friend uh, James Cawthorn, they wrote the screenplay for The Land That Time Forgot. That was Doug McClure, by the way, for those of you who remember the Burroughs films that were produced in England. And the director, the director of, of The Land That Time Forgot, was was a young fellow by the name of Kevin Connor, who right now is not quite so young, and, and, but a little younger than I am. But, <laughs> but anyway, Kevin Connor is also the director of our short film, Baron Blackwell, uh, starring the one and only Ed Asner, which you can look at. All you have to do is go www.baronblackwolf.com, and that'll put you on our on the website. And the first thing you got depth down there is watch the trailer, and you can watch uh, Kevin Connors directing. Well, you can you know you, you don't see him in the background, but but you won't see him in the background. But you, that's uh, Baron Blackwolf with Ed Asner, and uh, that's uh, written and produced by by me and uh, and uh, directed by Kevin Connor, same guy who worked with Michael Murcock and and uh, James Cawthorn in. The line that time forgot. So we do. We have at least we have that connection. Anyway, um, um, I think that that we need to understand and and, and looking at Moorcock's uh, whole, looking at his whole output, which is really really tremendous. The guy is tremendously creative. Uh, he's uh, you know he's he's one of these encyclopedic type writers. He's, he's his output is, is is tremendous, and his and the scope of what he does, he goes all the way from historical novels, so, you know, science fantasy, historical novels, satirical novels. Um, his uh, uh, he he's uh, he, he's a, he's a giant in 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 in, in several fields, and. Uh, 
uh, I think that, that the important thing that we should realize about uh, Moorcock and, and his legacy is the influence that they've had on on uh, on the romantic on, on the romantic movement, the Renfairs, the uh, the um, you know the whole the whole romantic community, which includes uh, the neo pagans and and then you know the Renfairs, the Society of Creative Anachronism, and all the various uh, all the various aspects of the new romanticism, and and of which Moorcock has has been quite an influence, and. Uh, one of the things I think also too uh, that we should that uh, when you read Murcock's stuff, you read it, read his his uh, his novels, and they're all available. The the, uh, the Ulrich stories are all available. You can uh, and uh, the last one that I can recall was the Green Thief's Daughter, and uh, and the most recent one. But um, the uh, important uh, thing for us when we when you read uh, the Elric saga is Elric's magic and Elric he, he's uh, he calls upon he you know, his he's uh, calling upon uh, Ariok the god the lord of chaos to help him that's his patron however he uses hermetic elementals Apparently, in in uh, the way the way Michael Murcock has his cosmology worked out, the Lords of Chaos can control elementals, and and uh, and uh, this, of course, these elementals are very very much like Hermetic elementals. In fact, they are Hermetic elementals. It's just that that uh, Murcock's given them a little different, uh, a little different nomenclature. He doesn't use the classical names. For uh, Hermetica, but, but they, they so he changed the names a bit. But some of his spells, which are in rhyme, of course, as they should be, and some of his spells are just delightful. And as you go through reading uh, the Elric saga, uh, there's magic in every story, and and uh, and uh, he's fighting demons, and and uh, and he's uh, calling up elementals. Uh, at one time, he calls up a uh, a ship. Which reminds me of, of something he got that something Denson he came up with a ship that that sails on the land and on the sea and in the air, and this is a this is an elemental uh, this is an elemental craft which is shared by two two different elementals <coughs> and both of them claim it. That's the elementals of the, the water. And, and the elementals of the earth, and they both claim this 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 ship, and and uh, and Elric makes a deal with them to, so he can use it, and uh, and you know and this is just this is very very uh, heady stuff, and it's and it, and it, very hermetic, and um, so when you get uh, when you get into this, um, uh, by the way, I want to point out to you that also too that. Um, in the Doubleday volumes of the Elric Saga, they don't give you a map. And this is, uh, with Elric's world, you really need a map. And uh, the, 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 map, the map was done, um, done by John, drawn by John Collier and Walter Romanski and lettered by Art uh, Ravenson. And, and you can find the map and what I did was I have the all you know all the Elric books, and uh, 
so I, I, I found the map in, in, uh, in uh, Worlds of Fantasy. It's a, it's a book, uh, uh, Fantasy Worlds. It's, it's a coffee table type book that has maps of all these fantasy worlds, including the uh, including Oz and Lord of the Rings and all of them, all the maps from uh, the different fantasy worlds. So if you get that, and you can you can do a photocopy of that. And what I did was I pasted did a photocopy and pasted it in the end papers of all my Elric books. So as I go through. Uh, as I go through the books, every time I wonder where something is, I just flip back to the end papers, and and and, and there's uh, then I can I can find out where where the the weeping waste is, and the sighing desert, and the pale sea, and the dragon sea, and and uh, and and he has a anyway, uh, one another concept that he has in this uh, in, in in the Elric Cyrus is is Tanalorn, T-A-N-E-L-O-R-N, Tanalorn. Tanalorn is a city, and it's up in the northern part uh, of, the, of, the, of the world. It's a city of peace and a city of tranquility and a city of love and a city of peace. And this is where all the warriors go that are tired of killing each other. They just, they're tired of killing and they're tired of... Of, of, of you know, they're tired of rape and pillage and all of that. They just had enough of it. They just want to go and live out the rest of their lives in peace. It would be the Tan Tanalorn is kind of a uh, would be a great place for for uh, you know stressed out GIs coming back from Afghanistan. Uh, but uh, it, 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 so it really figures in, in in many of the stories and the Lords of Chaos. Uh, don't like it naturally because it, it provides a, uh, a respite. You know, it, it's kind of a, a heaven on earth for 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 the people that that uh, otherwise would be out would be out killing people, and uh, and so the lords of chaos are constantly plotting against it. But um, but Panelorn is a beautiful concept, and uh, this is sort of the heaven that they that they they attempt to, to find. Uh, and uh, about chaos, as I said, his concept of chaos, the way he describes it, is you get down to the bottom of the, the bottom of the world, and 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 it's sort of a like the white cliffs of Dover down there at the bottom. Uh, these this cliff, this this, this cliff, the cliffs along the, along the well, it's not a sea coast. The bottom of the world is it ends in chaos, and and chaos is is like an ocean. And it swirls below these cliffs, and there is a castle at the edge of the world that uh, that where chaos, where the lords of chaos and the and the lords of of, of uh, law uh, have their you know have have their their uh, influence in, and um, and chaos rolls like like uh like I said in the in in the abstract, what did I say in the abstract? I said uh well, gosh, literally the concept of chaos the chaos world is presented in an ocean of swirling colors and energies dashing against the cliffs of this fantasy world and periodically invading and claiming lands ruled by the lords of law. And uh they so then then of course uh once they claim they claim part of the land. 
then uh then then you know the the lords of law raise a raise an army and go down and drive them out and uh and uh, uh land is reconquered from chaos uh, and this is uh this is is in you know, the kind of a graphic concept because uh chaos is is, is just a big soup which is what it really would be, as as you know. If, if as we have said many times, and as I'm sure uh, uh, Michael Murcock himself would agree, if, if uh, you know, uh, with it, that what holds the universe together is love. Love holds the molecules together. It holds the patterns together. It holds uh, everything together. And uh, without love, everything flies apart. So uh, chaos is, is, in this sense, an absence of love. And, uh, you know, uh, this is why, uh, this is is one of the reasons why uh, in the Hermetic philosophy, we are oriented toward uh, the law of love and toward the law of light and the law of love because it holds things together. And and, uh, chaos tears things apart. Now, the catch on this is that although chaos tears things apart, immediately they begin a reformation process and thing, they, they, they reform. In other words, that if you tear everything apart, you, you rip the love out of, out of everything, you got a bunch of soup, uh, like, like, like Morcock has below the cliffs, you got a bunch of swirling soup it's going to start by the very nature of matter. It will start to reform into something different. It's like thesis, synthesis, and thesis, thesis, and the thesis and synthesis. It, it has to happen, and you break it down, and it's going to reform. And uh, so, chaos theory. I, I once, uh, I once uh, described it as. Uh, uh, you know, uh, sort of a sort of a, 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 a an audio an audio soundbite describing chaos theory. Yeah, that's chaos theory, but I keep but everything keeps reforming. You see, so you 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 get rid of one pattern. And another pattern reforms. So the question, of course, that that one of the reasons why we we uh, are not into chaos magic uh, is because uh, we would like to uh, we would like to work with the forms and, and the patterns uh, that are that are that are in place that we can that we can learn and we can manipulate uh, and and without without tearing things down. Uh, and chaos is necessary. You can't have a cosmos. Actually, you have to have a, have a certain amount of chaos. But uh, but uh, as a magical system, uh, it, it, it it has a lot of shortcomings. And uh, anyway, uh, we're getting pretty close to the to the end of what we got here. And next week, oh. Uh, yeah, I'm supposed to shout out to Tennessee and Philadelphia and New York City. And, uh, uh, okay, you guys in Tennessee and you guys in in, uh, in Pennsylvania and New York City, 
I hope you enjoy it. Next week, I really want you to tune in next week because next week we got a real treat. We're going to have we're going to have Master Philos on on himself, and that is Merrick Reese Hamer, our, our uh, uh, who is, is as you probably know uh, a. Uh, uh, Leader in the Golden Dawn, and he's the vice president of our church, and and uh, he is a very, very uh, renowned uh, uh, Freemasonic ritualist in, in in Southern California here, and we're very proud to have uh, Merrick Hamer as our guest, talking about his his activities and and his in uh, the Golden Dawn tradition, and and uh, and. and and generally uh, giving us a background on, on his experiences. So next week, Master Philos himself, and, uh, and until then, good magic.